0: Hey there CPG founders, are you tired of trying to figure out what's really driving consumers to choose and buy better-for-you food and beverage CPG products? If you answered yes and want to get into the minds and hearts of your customers, then we have something for you. You should check out our free ebook, Cracking the Code, where you can find 6 core insights that motivate consumers to buy products like yours. This is available for a limited time only, so be sure to get your copy now. Go to your browser and type in thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. That's thevineyardbc.com slash freebook.
1: Brandstar Goes Healthy features founders and CEOs of healthy food and beverage CPG companies who share their biggest successes, hardest failures, strategic learnings, and tactical tips so you can learn from them and help you avoid mistakes, and instead, Succeed in building your own healthy food and beverage brands. If you lead a vegan, plant-based, organic, all-natural, functional, and other healthy food and beverage CPG company, then this show is for you. Hosted by Leonard Grape, founder and CEO of The Vineyard, the brand development company for the healthy food and beverage CPG industry.
0: Hey everybody, it's Leonard here and welcome back to the Brand Start Goes Healthy podcast. For today, I'm joined by Rachel Dome, founder and CEO of Rooted Living, a mission-driven, eco-friendly, plant-based snack company. Rachel, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Before we get going, can you please tell us a brief background about yourself and what you do?
2: Sure. So. I right now I'm a 22 year old college student at Northeastern University, um, but I was actually born in Bristol, England. Um, that's where most of my family lives. They live in London, and my that's where my dad's side of the family is from. And so I have very strong ties to there because I grew up going all the time, and it's somewhere that I feel almost more home than I do in the U.S. Um, so it's a very special place to me. And then I moved when I was young to actually um, Lawrenceville, New Jersey, where I lived on a high school campus because my parents were teachers there. And it was really an interesting way of growing up because I had full like free reign to run all over the place. It was a big campus um, and it was safe. And so I just basically spent my childhood very just free and playing with friends and outside and I think it 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 really nurtured the creativity that is very intrinsic in my nature um I never thought of myself before college as like entrepreneurial but I think back to those times and I I totally had little ventures of like I would make a handwritten like newspapers like that I would drop off at all of my neighbors houses and Mm. I would have cookie stands and I was I was just like an I. when I signed up for Girl Scouts one year I sold the most because I was like on this campus and it was it was a really fun way of growing up Um, but I moved to Boston for college and I've lived here ever since I'm doing Northeastern is cool. They have a co-op program. And so you can graduate in five years instead of four. So I'm doing five. I'm going into my fifth year, um, all while kind of like working on growing my company. Um, So it's kind of a busy time, but really, really, really special. I'm very grateful.
0: That's something that I'd like to unpack some more later on. But thanks for sharing that, Rachel. And then I'd like to ask this first official question. How did your brand start? I mean, what got you into becoming a Better For You CPG founder?
1: Mm,
2: Yeah, definitely not something I'd ever set out in life to do. Um, Even in college, I came into Northeastern thinking that I was going to be working in special needs child psychology. That was something that I did a lot in high school, worked with special needs kids and was fascinated about psychology and still am. Um, And that's what I thought my career was going to be. And I think that's because I didn't know what it was to be an entrepreneur or someone in business. Uh, If I heard the term people doing business in college, I would think of myself in a career where I had to dress up in a suit and I would have to focus on financial projections and I would have to do all these things that I just had preconceived notions about. Um, I didn't think about, uh, like I didn't even really know what an entrepreneur meant or was um, until I went to the winter involvement fair my freshman year. And I stumbled ac- across this this group that was tabling called Wise, um, which stood for the Women's Interdisciplinary Society of Entrepreneurship. But I didn't even read that at that point. They basically were advertising, mm-hmm. "Hey, this is a club where you can come and build the things that you're passionate about and grow them with the support of our community." And there was, so- I mean, there was one specific thing I was really passionate about, um, which was sustainable snacking, uh, which I-, I can talk about a little bit more. But that's kind of where it all began was learning what an entrepreneur meant and looked like and feeling empowered enough to take the first steps to educate myself. Because sometimes the first step into a very unfamiliar space is the hardest one.
0: Interesting. Where did that passion for sustainable snacking come from for you, Rachel?
2: So it came a lot from my high school experience. Um, And that's because I have been a runner since I was about 13. Um, when I joined uh, the track team. And at the same time, around 13, I also became um, vegan, fully plant based. And this was something that I decided to do way before it was cool, way before people like it was this trend. And there were so many options in the supermarket and definitely something that my parents had no idea like how to cater towards. So they didn't. So I cooked all my food, which was great because (laughs) I I (laughs) was very passionate about cooking. But I went plant-based because I really wanted to have a really strong relationship with food that made me feel empowered. And what I mean by that is I learned that plant-based, through plant-based eating, not only are you putting good things in your body, but you're making an impact, a positive impact on the planet and on animals. And it seemed like this this trio of a win. That made me at an age where honestly, I was still trying to find myself as we all are throughout life, but at a very pivotal age of going into high school, it gave me confidence and it gave me embodiment. Um, and so I went plant-based. I was an athlete. So I cared a lot about my health. I cared a lot about sustainability. I was very empowered by facts like, you know, one hamburger is essentially like 30 bathtubs full of water to produce. Mm. And so making small changes, I could have a monumental impact. But one area that I continued to run into problems where I tried to be sustainable, but couldn't was snacking. And I snacked all the time. I was an athlete. I was a student. I was just a snacker. And it really made me upset really upset that every time I snacked, I was throwing away a piece of single use plastic and we're all fed from a pretty young age that plastic's bad for the planet. And so it felt like I was always doing this negative thing and there was no way of getting out of it. And I had done these challenges where I tried to be zero waste and I tried to see my impact, but there was, I was just shocked that in such a big space of snacking, there was no sort of sustainable alternative I didn't think Mm -hmm. about creating one I didn't think about anything I just wanted as a user to choose something that would empower me more and that didn't exist and so that's kind of where I fell into seeing the gap there between all of my passions of health and sustainability and food and creating food and so I created my own snacks I would bring them in and I would bring them for my friends and track practice and I would just bring them throughout my day at school and I did that all the way up until college and that was when I kind of got more excited about oh my gosh what if I could sell these at Northeastern like what Mm -hmm. if other people were interested in finding a way to snack that was more sustainable because it was I've always been a very passionate individual and I found a problem that I was very passionate about and Mm
1: -hmm. was sure that
2: other people felt the same way.
0: Now I can I can sense better where, where that brand persona of rooted living is really coming from. Uh, you <laughs> speak very passionately about it, and that's always a good hypothesis to do for for a business, right? You you find something that you're passionate about, or you look into a problem that you can potentially solve, and then do something about it. In your case, it was your own preference to try to go sustainable snacking, and there's there's nothing that you can really find that you'd be happy about. And so you just went out and and do it. So I'm curious now, let's talk about the early days. So you saw this group uh, called Wise and then you discovered your passion for sustainable snacking. And then you finally started this company. During the early days, what were your main challenges back then? You know, when you were just starting to try and get your company running, Rachel? Well,
2: I just had no idea what I was doing. I was 19. I was a psychology student and I had no idea what I was doing. But I think... More profoundly, I I didn't have a lot of confidence, Um, not just in myself, but in my abilities. Um, I think that it's common that a common narrative from schooling at a very young age that we're all taught to identify with a certain subject or skill set. Um, I'm good at this, but I'm not good at this. I'm good at math, but I'm not good at English. Or I really like to write, but I suck at science. Like you have your thing because that's something that you have to almost choose to excel at throughout school. Um, and I had had complicated relationships with school. I I, I had a lot of potential and I did, I did well in certain areas, but I didn't find out until a lot later that I uh, was dyslexic and that That there were certain learning differences that were really um, setting me back from the traditional schooling system. And so, once I was able to find that out and really work in ways that made me feel more empowered, I was able to do better. But I still had a lot of deeply ingrained beliefs that I wasn't smart, that I wasn't capable. And it, it took a lot of pushing past those to make any sort of strides in business because. As many entrepreneurs know, you really have to do it all at the beginning by yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to learn it all. You have to learn the finance, you have to learn business model. You have to learn all these terms that seem impossible. And so that took a lot of constantly telling myself that I could do it.
0: That's that's very powerful and you're right as an entrepreneur, especially as a startup founder, you're the CEO, you're the CMO, you're the CFO, you need yeah. to wear all of these hats. And that's usually when you get your hands dirty and learn all the ropes going into the business, but it's a classic mm-hmm. example of you don't know what you don't know, right? So you just went at mm-hmm. it. Um but during those days like h- how did you start with your first inventory? Like did you have to use your savings? Did you have to look for for some capitalization? Tell us about that.
2: It's the whole process was extremely grassroots because I truly was just a 19-year-old initially just baking granola in my kitchen um, and selling it to my friends and getting user feedback. I luckily I did it in a little bit more of a professional way because I had wise and they were able mm-hmm. to kind of teach me, okay. This is how to run good like user groups, and this is how to get market data. And so I I did do it. I did do it with some some of that background, which was actually extremely helpful. And that whole network was helpful because they they gave me they just gave me a, a platform to start. And most honestly, they gave me the confidence. They really believed in me before I even believed in me. Um, and I don't know if I would have even continued doing Rooted Living if it wasn't for that initial thing. And I think. That's why it's so important to empower young entrepreneurs, especially maybe who don't see themselves or aren't super represented in that space. Um, but what I did, so I did that initially, I, of course, I had to get some like permits to make the granola in my apartment. So I did that. I made it, I did market uh, like research. And then I, um, I did a small crowdfunding campaign with a platform called I Fund Women and they're awesome incredible and definitely recommend for anybody who's looking to do maybe an initial crowdfunding campaign but i did that and i raised over ten thousand dollars and i used that as well as some money that i got from pitch competitions that i was doing pretty actively um, to really start rooted living and what that looked like was finding somebody else that would make my granola that wasn't in my kitchen Mm -hmm. so i found a co-packer that would make it at bigger scale, finding the packaging supplier that would, that was a hard piece of the puzzle because I, I really did want to find sustainable packaging, but I had to learn what that meant and I'm still learning, but then find the right person too. And so I had to build the supply chain. I had to invest in the inventory. I, did, I had to, you know, create designs, all of these things that go into this one end product. And so that, that took years. It took, mm-hmm. I didn't launch until I started building it when I, it was early early 2020 like actually like a month before the pandemic um and then i launched officially in october of 2021 so it, t- it took a while to build all of that and to learn but that i think that that's a beautiful thing because i was also um building myself at the same time
0: congratulations rachel there, there's really a ton of work to get something up and running uh, and yes. I think the feasibility time that you talk is, is going to be a strong foundation for you. Uh And I've seen a lot of other Better for You CPG founders would even take like 12, 18, even 24 months just to make sure the things are set before you even jump fully into it. I'm also yeah. curious about what you mentioned in terms of crowdfunding. Because raising capital is, is an an issue I would say or is always a challenge for a lot of other founders. Any best practices that you've learned from that because you managed to raise $10,000 in that uh, platform?
2: Yes, crowdfunding is such a tricky game and it's hard because you're really just going and asking people for support um, and I've raised capital in lots of different ways. Crowdfunding was definitely one of the harder ones but also one of the most empowering, because the whole point of crowdfunding is that it's just a little bit of money, but from a lot of people. And so it also was super exciting and built my confidence as a founder to see that people really believed in my mission and wanted to contribute towards it. So I would definitely recommend it just to try for really anybody and find the right platform that works for you. But some of my top tips for crowdfunding would be making sure that you have a prize correlated with some sort of like investment that people are putting in. So if they're putting in $50, what does that come with? Um, Also make sure you're looking at your margins there. You're wanting to make around 80% of the margins with each of those kind of like investments that people are putting in. Um, So do your math there. There's great uh, worksheets and things online to build off of. And if anybody's ever interested in reaching out, I'm happy to send resources, Um, but that's one. And then the other one that I found most helpful is creating a long list, literally as many people as possible that you can think of. Mine was like over a hundred of friends, family, acquaintances, all the way down to people that you maybe you only met once or twice, but you had a good, a good conversation with and put them all down, put their contact and then. Write how much you think that they would donate, because that gives you a target for then how much you want to raise, mm. and then you can figure out whatever timeline you want. But that that gives you a rough estimate of what your goal is. So mine was like ten thousand, and I raised just over ten thousand. But that really helped me set an accurate goal, so I didn't feel like I was going too far or just the reach was like not enough.
0: Thank you for sharing that. That's gold right there. Uh, Because some would feel like, you know, you just go online, look for a platform and then just type in what you want to raise. But this little tactics, is, uh, I think, would be really very helpful. So you started about four years uh, and it's been quite some time that you're in the industry. What has changed and what do you think is your number one problem now uh, in the business?
2: Um, In the industry, what has changed, I think slowly but surely, people are gaining more of an understanding of how important sustainability is within the consumer packaged goods, consumer product goods space for so long. And what I've found so frustrating is the snack industry is really all about what goes inside of the packaging because that's what people are buying, but that causes people to overlook what it comes wrapped in. And I think that's a big piece of the puzzle. It's a big part of this whole story Um, because Whatever it comes wrapped in is going to have a life before it's on the shelf and the impacts that makes while it's on the shelf and after. And there's really, really profound negative implications of specifically single-use plastic within its whole life cycle. I think now people are are understanding a little bit more that there needs to be alternatives or sustainability initiatives. But I think then in the plant-based space, that's the thing I've seen the most change in less still the the sustainability piece is gaining momentum but really everything is like plant-based these days which is great i love to see it and i just totally encourage that
0: two of the main drivers among consumers that we've seen when we when our company did the research would really be personal health so as you said what you put inside your body but the second one is actually is environmental health so the planet uh like what's the impact of what you're trying to buy? Uh, how does your lifet- lifestyle affect that uh, in a much larger scale? So I, I totally agree with you on that. I also want to shift our conversation now a little bit in terms of your brand. So you're a mission-driven company. On your website, you've actually used a .org extension, which I found interesting <laughs> because usually a lot of other brands really use .com, right? So I think that yeah. makes you stand out. But Uh, it's also highlighting sustainability and brand values, all that you've been talking about. So what I'm curious to ask now is, have you seen these things to have an impact on how your business is growing?
1: Hey, CBG founders, coming in for a quick break. You need to stop building a website for your brand. If all it will say are things about your product, DTC is a powerful way to gain customers and build loyalty, but if your messaging is more I than you, more product features than product value, then you're missing out big time. The better for you, food and beverage, CPG World doesn't need another boring, self-centered website, and you definitely don't need one too. What you want is an e-commerce site that attracts and engages customers and makes them want to buy your product. Let us help you make this happen through brand development expertise. Reach out to us to discuss a project by heading on to www.thevineyardbc.com. Now, back to the conversation. Yes, and I'm going to be
2: honest with you, the .org was because the .com was taken. <laughs> um, okay. And so I've been trying to get that .com for so long because it's inactive, but I just like don't even know how to begin. So it works because we do try to share information. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the website's a great platform for people to gain more understanding about what Rooted Living is showing. And we really are still in the process of fleshing it out. Um, I'm not a web developer, but ideally we'll have a lot more articles and information. I think that education um, is at the heart of people making autonomous change because if they don't mm. know why they need to make change, they're not going to do it. Um, you can tell people as much as you want to do something different it's not gonna come from them unless they understand why and they're empowered to make that choice.
0: That's very true. And that's where the brand messaging would come. That's why I was curious to ask that. When you campaign uh, something for for the consumer, the consumer education stage is gonna be so hard. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so if you're not clear with who your brand is, how you want to impact the people that you're trying to serve, you're really gonna have a hard time. That's why I was curious to ask that. if you're comfortable sharing, I'm also like interested to know about your your growth. Uh, like it's been four years now. You started selling. Look like uh, in just your small community, but now you have your e-commerce platform. Uh, I'm not sure where your other sales channels are, but where are you sure. at right now in terms of revenue?
2: Sure. So I can talk about the growth. I think it's most easy to understand, at least for me, especially somebody who doesn't come from that financial space in terms of the units that we sell. Yeah. Um, because that really accurately shows our growth. So I started with Rooted Living. And I I think I purchased my first purchase order of 1000 bags of granola. And that was that's a lot. That's a lot of bags of granola to sell, especially by myself. And who do I sell them to? And I I was just really doing a lot of direct to consumer. That was my main way I was selling it. So I started off with that. The next production run I did, I believe was um, 6,000 units. So it was a big jump. Um, Mm -hmm. That big jump was for two reasons. One, that was after we raised um, our first round, uh, our first part of our um, pre-seed round. So we had the capital to do so. We had interested people. And also, and this is super transparent, like that became the minimum order quantity of my co-packer, which is something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs will face is these minimum orders that seem really big and maybe are, feel really big for small businesses. But I decided to take that leap. Um, I had a team now, uh, just onboarded a team, just, so we just placed the order, just onboarded a team, it was big growth kind of didn't know like how we were going to move this product. Um, and it's been a bit of a fire under all of us to try to move it because we don't yet have a distributor We're we're onboarding with one in a few weeks actually, but we haven't had one the most of the time that we've had this inventory. And so we were with our small amount of retail locations we've been in, we've been self-distributing and the rest has gone through um, mainly online or Mm -hmm. some farmers markets, but we had to sell roughly 33 bags a day in order to sell it all before it expired. Um, I, actually just two days ago, we got a purchase order that will then allow us to have all of the products sold by mid September. So we're really happy. And the next order we're going to be placing will probably be closer to 10,000 units though. It's a little bit unsure because as you mentioned with sales channels, we have actually really expanded our sales channels of not just being retail and direct consumer, but now we have this third sales channel of food service. Um, we're partnering mm-hmm. with dining halls in the area, um, as well as cafes where they they top their uh, smoothie bowls with our granola. So we sell to them in five pound bulk bags. And so that changes a little bit, like what's being produced and in what quantity, because now we have such a large amount just in terms of weight of granola going to these food service locations, um, which is not something I definitely would have like even thought of initially. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of where we are now.
0: Thank you for sharing. And I think that's a smart move, mainly because your product fits the, the food service market. Not not a lot of CPG can get into that space. Totally. So I think that's that's a good, good one. Well, I think that my next question is a good sort of, summary more or less of where you're at so far because i saw that rooted living recently won the best sweet snack award the a billion women vegan Sam- summit so congratulations yes. and can you tell us a bit more about that
2: thank you that was <laughs> is so fun that summit the vegan Women summit uh i definitely recommend anyone looking into it it is like an awesome space where like top innovators in the plant-based space get together um and they just like learn and they have this amazing time and Rooted Living was lucky enough to sponsor um, the Vegan Women's Summit. So we had um, a table and we got to sample and meet incredible people. In fact, there was recently a Good Morning America segment that was on the Vegan Women's Summit. And they show a lot of like videos and flashes of our granola. And it was so exciting to see that. Um, but basically, each of the sponsors were put into categories, whether it was sweet snacks, um, whether it was dairy, like vegan dairy, obviously. Mm-hmm. um or whether it was fake meat like there was different categories and we were so proud to win because most of the snacks we were up against were like candy and chocolates and sweets that were like you know indulgent but still we we won being a healthy and really wholesome plant-based snack which spoke a lot to how people really liked the flavor of it which was just like so special
0: that's interesting. Congratulations! I think that's a very nice validation of what you're trying to do, uh, and you've seen a lot of, uh, I think, strides. I would say uh, for for such a young founder as well. So I'm I'm curious to ask before I like sort of summarize some of the insights and then ask the final questions, working towards wrapping up. What do you think are the top three skills uh, that contributed for the growth that you're you're seeing now for your brand?
2: The number one thing me and what it's always been and i i for the foreseeable future will be is working with my personal limiting beliefs there's nothing that you can't learn ever like as a founder or really as anybody you can learn anything we're all capable of growing our minds and growing our mindset but i have been such a blocker to my own success based on my own fears and anxieties and self-doubt and thought traps that I fall into. And so becoming educated on what my limiting beliefs are, being able to identify those so that I can be versed in seeing them when they come up. Um, and yeah, just constantly working on that mental side of the being a founder. Because if you aren't taken care of, if I haven't been taken care of from that mental, emotional energetic side then i i really can't show up for my work and it, it is in those times where i have been so caught up in my limiting beliefs mm-hmm. um it really has reflected on slowing the growth um because i just i'm in un- un- i'm unable to take action um so that's my most important one i would say the second one and this is so cliche so i almost kind of like cringe to say it but like mm-hmm like your network is so important. And uh, and that builds over time and it just builds with being a nice person, like not necessarily trying to get anything out of anything. Um, but just being a good person and like meeting people and always just like having them there. You don't I'm not always the best at um, you know, writing down the person that I met and who they are and keeping a log of that. But things come back around and people remember you and you stick in people's brains and vice versa. And just being a good person and slowly growing your network through different opportunities um, has been crucial for me because I've had a lot of the growth opportunities based off of a person that I met that connected me to a different person that connected me to my first semester that connected me to, you know, whoever. So it, I think that would be my second piece. And then the third one, it's tough. Um, I would say the importance of, a mindfulness routine. And that also may sound a little bit cliche, um, but there's so much growth, internal growth that one experiences as an entrepreneur. And I always say like my company has grown so much, but I've grown so much more, but it's important to cultivate for me that mindfulness throughout that experience so that I can show up with presence in all of the things that I do I, I can sometimes be in a habit of being on autopilot, not being fully present with the meetings that I'm in, with the work that I'm doing. And I'm, and it's just not fulfilling from a personal standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so when I really have a good mindfulness practice, um, I'm able to show up and just be with each thing that I'm doing. And it is way more fulfilling. It feels like it gives me way more energy. And it's just fair for the people that I'm with.
0: That's that's really wonderful, Rachel. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think that's really powerful, especially that last bit, You know, just being being mindful about every day and not let yourself be an autopilot. So thank you for sharing that. I'd like to do a quick recap of some of the highlights that I've gotten from our conversation. And then I'd ask the final question before we go to the last segment. The first bit that I got is really know the deeper sense of what you're trying to do. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think it would help if you get to identify what's that thing that you're passionate about and actually be your own customer, right? Especially if you're starting out and solve that specific problem that you want to solve for, for yourself. If you're a startup founder and you're just getting there, it's, it's perfect. Start small and take your time uh, in terms of what you need to understand, like doing market research. It's great to consider crowdfunding, not just to raise money, but also to get that consumer validation Uh, And then knowing the ropes, essentially, you know, doing everything at the beginning would also mean that you're going to learn a lot of the important aspects of running a CPG brand. But particularly on the crowdfunding, uh, I love really that principle of going beyond just the money because it's also a way for you to build your confidence. But some Mm -hmm. tactics that I got from you is establish really how you want to approach it. So have a price correlated with the investment that you're asking. I think you set a good margin target of having like 80% margin because otherwise, what's the point, right? If uh, it's just like you selling right there, but what you want is really capitalization. And then, be proactive. You know, you don't do crowdfunding and then you wait for people to come, but instead create that long list of your prospects. And that can also help guide you in terms of how much you want to raise so you're not going over or under what you're trying to target as a, as a capitalization. And then the importance of consumer education. So you're a mission-driven company. You have to be clear on what you're trying people to learn and then take action. So you need to empower them. So as a brand, it's our responsibility to be clear about who we are as well, what we stand for as a company, the brand values that we have, and how that translates to everything that we do. Um, In terms of sales channels and sales growth, the main piece that I got there is really knowing your numbers. Like if you're setting this much target of units... How much do you need to sell on a daily basis? Uh, because I think that's also one way so that, that you won't feel overwhelmed if you're like s- trying to set targets, you know, that um that way of setting goals and then trying to break that down into smaller chunks of goals so that it becomes more uh, accessible for you. And then finally, in terms of your top three skills, the first one is really working your working with your self-limiting beliefs. I like to quote you in this: don't be a blocker of your own success. I think that's truly powerful. And you've, across the conversation, it came out several times, the importance of network, leveraging Mm -hmm. your network, trying to build it. But don't overcomplicate it and don't try to be transactional. I'd admit, you know, I also had that phase where, you know, it seems like you just reach out to people uh, just to get something out of it. Number one, it doesn't feel good. So if you don't feel good about it, that means you're doing something wrong, right? But if you just be a good person, and that's what's driving me now, mainly in doing the podcast, a lot of work in there. But I, I was hoping, like, if I get to talk to you and, you know, just one person and you're probably in your same scenario someone who can relate to you can listen to this would really be get inspired Uh, and then finally if you can establish a mindfulness routine just don't let yourself be an autopilot and try to appreciate what you're going through day in and day out is that a fair collection of some of the highlights that you've shared with me rachel
2: totally like you show up for your business every day but if you don't show up for yourself then, then nothing is going to work out in the long run. It won't be sustainable. So totally, that was a really great recap. And yeah, just thank you for being so attentive and listening.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, I appreciate all of the things that you've shared, but I, I got to work towards wrapping up now. Uh, for my last question, I'm sure you've already had your share of ups and downs, you know, the roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur. So yeah. I, I want to ask you and give you this chance to sort of deepen your reflection. If you can go three years back, and be with yourself as a young, not so confident CPG founder at that time, what would you tell Rachel or what advice would you have for her?
2: I think what I would tell myself is that there are so many people that want to help and that want to help entrepreneurs that want to help you, that want to help your mission. And I was often a afraid to take people's help because I thought I had to kind of show up to that already knowing things. But knowing something is not a prerequisite. Knowing something is something you gain after having an experience. And that was something that I had to learn. I didn't have to already know things that how was I supposed to know? You know things after experiencing them. So it's okay to go into talking to people that wanted to support me not knowing anything and being vulnerable like that. Uh, so I think that's what I would tell everybody is I, I think I turned down a lot of help because I thought I had to already know things.
0: That's a perfect ending for this. So thank you so much, Rachel. I'd like us to go now to the last segment of the show, which I call the finish line. It's basically the lightning round. So I have five questions that I want you to answer as concise as possible this time. Are you gay?
2: Okay. Okay, let's do
0: this. The first one is characteristic that an entrepreneur must have to succeed.
2: Compassion.
0: Hmm. Second is book or podcast that you want to recommend for entrepreneurs to read or listen to.
2: I just finished the book, The Anxious Achiever. I would definitely recommend that.
0: Interesting. The next one is, what is one thing that you fear the most as a founder?
2: Letting myself down.
0: Hmm. Then next is, if you're not an entrepreneur now, what do you think would you be instead?
2: That's a toughie. Maybe like um, a recipe developer or a chef.
0: Okay, shows you the passion that you have for cooking and good food, right? And finally, I want you to complete this sentence, Rachel. Success is?
2: Success is showing up for yourself before showing up for your work.
0: Wow, this has really been wonderful, Rachel, and thank you so much for taking the time to be here, for being so kind and open and sharing your story and insights. But before I let you go, can you please tell us where is the best place for people to learn about you and Rooted Living?
2: Sure. So if you're interested in trying any Rooted Living's snacks, um, right now we have a line of lots of fun flavored granolas. You can find us um, like we talked about at rootedliving.org. We're also on Instagram at Rooted Living. That's a fun place that you can engage with us and just be a very fun bubbly community there. So that's awesome. And um, yeah, you can always reach out to me over the Instagram too. I'm, I'm really happy to chat.
0: What's your handle there?
2: so you can reach out to the rooted living one and i'll definitely see it but my personal handle is my first name rachel and then dot and then my last name dom D O M B.
1: great
0: we'll make sure to link those up in our show notes and once again rachel thanks for being here and may god bless you save hours and hours researching why and how customers buy better for you food and beverage cpg products by spending two minutes to grab a copy of our new free ebook titled Cracking the Code, where you will find six core insights that drive customers to purchase products like yours. Download your copy now at thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. That's thevineyardbc.com slash freebook.